we're so thankful for the fact that you inspired it to be written in Greek and that it was such a precise language and, and the nuances. And we're thankful for the, to be able to learn uh, more accurately what it is you've said. And, uh, and I ask you to help me to teach what you've said uh, more accurately as well. And I ask you to bless each one that's here. I thank you for each one that's here and for the work that's been put into this class and that uh, you would help each one to retain the information and continue to uh, aspire to... Uh, to master more of Greek. We ask you to bless each one, and we ask you to bless our time together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, I gave you a two. I, well, you, you have the, uh, where do I go from here? That's the next three pages. Um, for those of you who have new notebooks. And then uh, the last two pages I gave to everybody because I didn't have those last year. Uh, the first one says, um, Greek words you already know. And it's just a bunch of... Um, if you pronounce them right, you'll probably, if you, if you cover up the right-hand side where I have the derivative and just read it, you, you can probably tell what the derivative is supposed to be. If the derivative is the actual meaning of the word, I didn't put anything else. However, a lot of times our derivatives are not the same thing as the actual meaning of the word. Like I've heard people talk about dunamis, that's dynamite power, because we get the word dynamite from dunamis. But... TNT did not exist back then. Dunamis didn't mean TNT. TNT is usually used to explode things, to tear things up, to cause disorder. <laughs> Whereas uh, God's, what does it really mean then? Well, dunamis is power in the sense of ability, as opposed to power in the sense of authority. You can have a Sherman tank and a police officer out here holding up traffic. The Sherman tank does it because it has the ability to do it, and the a police officer has a, can do it because he has the authority to do it. So exousia would be the authority power. Sometimes in the old King James Version, both of those words would be translated power, but they're not the same kind of power. Exousia is authority power, and dunamis is a power in the sense of ability. So anyway, so but is uh, dynamite a derivative of dunamis? Yes, but there's absolutely nothing in common with the meaning at all. And so... Uh, yeah, that's going backwards. It's taking a modern-day usage, a modern-day... Yes, yes, that's exactly right. And so, uh, anyway, if the actual meaning is different, I put it in parentheses out to the side. Um, so, anyway, those are there for your enjoyment. You'll find it. And this is not an exhaustive list. There are hundreds of these. This is just something to let you know that you know, when it's time to learn vocabulary, it really isn't all that bad. We've seen anthropos. You know, well, what do we get from that? Anthropology? What is that? Well, it's the study of man. What is anthropos? Man. Mankind. And so it's just, there's, there's a, that's one of the nice things about Greek, is that you uh, can sometimes learn by simply applying what we already know. And then the second page is brand new for this time. I didn't do this the last time, but it gives you a summary of the insight, what the insight was about, I should say. And like, for instance, the first week was ooh plus may plus an error subjunctive, but we didn't really talk about the error subjunctive, but that's a part of it. But the emphatic negation. Um, and so then all, all of the verses that we looked at are all listed here. Uh, week two, ooh or may use the negative questions. Uh, Week three, we looked at what John one one. Week four, we looked at noun uh, 
case nuance of time and fronting. Those were the examples of it. Every single verse that I had up here on the slides is listed here. And so, uh, uh, you know, and I may do more with that. The fact is, it occurred to me just this afternoon, I was talking to Bonnie about it, and I said, you know, maybe what I'd do is just do a presentation and get it put out on YouTube. Just take all these sessions, maybe try to pare them down a little bit, and just just put them on YouTube or something, then I'd have all that. But, oh, get a thumbs up in the back. <laughs> so that's something I'm I'm going to kick that idea around a little bit. Maybe, I don't know when I'll do it, but, <laughs> but it's it might be a, worth, a thing worth doing. So, we'll get started. Uh, does everybody have my email address? It's down here in the corner. I've had it up there just every week in the, uh, on the first slide. Uh, the reason I ask is because two things. One is that if you want a PDF of all the notes, because I've actually tweaked the notes, uh, notes as we've gone through them, and sometimes it's after we already printed them, and so there might be some corrections or I might have rephrased something uh, if you want the PDF, if you send me an email and let me know, then I'll send a PDF to you of all the notes in a PDF format, uh, which, you know, look pretty much like what you have. I, well, I do have some other things on there, too. I've got um, some pictures of manuscripts, um, and I get, have a little blurb at the bottom that just tells a little bit about that manuscript. There's there's a, a little bit extra on the PDF, but uh, anyway, if you want that, if you'd let me know, I can get that sent. The second thing is that we'll need to coordinate We've talked about doing a reader's group and uh, and continuing in learning, actually learning Greek, not just how Greek works, but actually start reading it and learn it by reading it. And so if you're interested in that, I'd also like to know, and we need to figure out what kind of time frame we can work in. You know, we have uh, Monday nights will be open. That's not necessarily open for everybody. Uh, Tuesdays, we you know, every other week we have men's meetings. Thursdays, there's women's meetings. Wednesday, we have church. You know, there's, We just have to figure out what does it work best for everybody you know if it's a Sunday afternoon okay we'll do that I'll try to be as flexible as possible uh, but we'll need to try to figure out what works for everybody and you know and maybe we just do Monday nights I don't know maybe just that easy but um, anyway it'd be nice to be able to communicate with the group of everybody who does want to be involved in the readers group to continue learning Greek so I just want to make sure you have my email address for that because I don't know that I don't know that I have. I know I have some of you. I know I have your email address or I have your phone number, but I don't know that I have everybody's. So tonight, what are we going to do? We're going to review the alphabet. I bet that's a surprise. You never did see that coming, did you? <laughs> we're going to review the diphthongs. You didn't see that one coming either, did you? Uh, we're going to review what we've learned so far. I kind of did that a little bit last week, but we're going to go into more detail this week on that. And then we're going to look at tools, books, apps, and more. We will go ahead and read from John 1. You probably didn't see that coming either. And then we'll have insights. And as I told you, I think I told you last week, that there's so much in the way of insights on verbs and tenses and moods. Uh, it's just I couldn't It would take too long to try to do them all in one. And so I've actually spread those out over the last three weeks. This will be the third week with insights regarding uh, both moods and verb tenses and um, we'll look at conditional statements tonight. And then offer time for questions. So let's just go through the whole thing together. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, 
zeta, eta, theta, iota, kappa, lambda, mu, nu, xi, omicron, pi, rho, sigma, tau, upsilon, phi, chi, psi, omega. And this is something you can do when you're sitting at a red light. <laughs> you know, just you can just, you know, recite it. Uh, there are some lights in town that you can go through it several times. <laughs> if you need to know what route to take, let me know and we'll talk about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go ahead and do it. We'll just read across this time. This is Alpha, Kappa, Eta, Gamma, Iota, Omicron, Xi, Delta, Mu, Lambda, Tau, Epsilon, P, Sigma, Rho, Omega, Phi, Nun, Psi, Upsilon, Zeta, Beta, Theta, and Chi. All right. And if you have an alpha iota together, it sounds like I is in aisle. And if you have an epsilon iota together, it sounds like A as in eight, wait. Um, I saw something else today. What was it? It was slate. Well, I... Oh, sleigh. Oh, yeah, as in a one-horse open. <laughs> this uh, is the right season for that. I think it was in this book. Um, take a quick look and see if I can. That's, it's not that important. If I don't see it in like five, four, three. Oh, here it is. A is in veil. That was, I thought that was a good one. A is in veil, V-E-I-L. Boy is in boil. So I thought that was good. So there are options, but it just helps to have the helping word to, because we see it in English and uh, we can remember it for Greek. Omicron iota. Oi is in foil. Upsilon iota. We is in sweet. Alpha upsilon. Ow as in sauerkraut. Epsilon upsilon. U, U as in feud, and Omicron Upsilon, U as in through, right. All right, you guys are, you guys are doing really good on all that. You, you do need, deserve to be commended. You guys are all doing real well on that. So, review of what we learned. We, well, obviously we've learned the Greek alphabet. We've learned you know, and how to pronounce. That's that's an important first step. Diphthongs. Um, that also is important for pronunciation. Diaresis. We've looked at that. That's just the two dots over the top of a letter um, to tell you that the two vowels are supposed to be pronounced separately. It comes from the Greek word meaning diverse. We've looked at accent marks, pronunciation rules, the rules about the gamma, if it's two gammas next to each other, if it's gamma, kappa, and so forth. We've looked at that. Syllables, all these in the category of pronunciation. 
We've looked at the basic infrastructure of the Greek language that they use inflections instead of word order to determine function. We've looked at the inflections of declensions, which a declension is a family of word changes in nouns, the article, adjectives, pronouns. Um, there are three declensions. Uh, we've only really looked at examples mostly of, uh, of second declension masculine nouns, but uh, that tells you how the word's being used. Is it the subject? Is it the direct object? Is it the indirect object? Is it uh, direct address? So as a showing possession. So those are all through inflection. And uh, we've seen a lot of inflection. We've looked at prepositions and how they change meaning depending upon the noun case of the object of the preposition. We've looked at verbs and more inflections to describe tense, voice, mood, person, number, all the characteristics of verbs. Tense, voice, mood, person, number. In English, we have to use helping words to communicate these things. But in Greek, they're all packed into how the word is formed. And it's done through suffixes and prefixes and even tense infixes. We've looked at participles and infinitives. We've been reading from John 1, the first nine verses, practicing reading. And uh, we've looked at a lot of insights that are uh, all grammatically based. We've not done any word studies. Um, and these... Um, all represent their examples of meanings in the Greek New Testament text that is not easily communicated in English translation. Nor will you find these insights by looking them up in a lexicon, the stuff that you've learned. You'd have to go to probably an intermediate grammar to find where these things are. They, I'm not making it up. I learned it from somebody else. I've actually learned from a, several somebody else's. Um, but... Well, in one of the books I'll mention later, I wouldn't say jump into it right away because you'd be lost. Wait till we get through the, the reader's group and this, and this other grammar before you try jumping into that one. It's more advanced, um, but it covers, and you, but you have to get into more into Greek to learn these things. But I've been sharing with you and giving you examples how they how it works. Because uh, you, you can't just pick them up by looking it up in Strong's Concordance or something. You, you'll never get it that way. Because these are all grammatical, not word studies. So where do we go from here? There are many resources to continue learning. There are too many to list in this lesson tonight. And it's not necessary to spend thousands of dollars to build a Greek library of resources. If you just have money laying around and money is no issue and you want to spend thousands of dollars, you can do that and I can tell you how to spend your money. <laughs> but... Uh, but most people I know don't fit into that category. Money is usually an object. It's usually not, you know, what is, what is it? If money is no object, it usually is an object. So uh, so how can we save money and continue to we'll look at uh, different kinds of resources? I'll mention some expensive ones, but just to let you know what's out there. But uh, you don't have to spend a whole lot of money on it. Um, I will recommend only books that will help you with where you are after completing this course. I'll, as we talk about books, I'll usually just say, you know, you, are, you know enough right now that you can hit the ground running in this book, or you can hit the ground running in that book, and I'll try to make that clear as we go through them because uh, you've learned enough to be able to take in some of these. Um, They'll help you where you are after completing this course. Okay, some are not listed here, but that, okay, yeah, I haven't, this is not exhaustive. So if you say, well, I've seen this app or I've seen this book or whatever, there's probably, there's lots of good ones out there. I, I can't list all of them tonight. So if they're not up here, it doesn't mean they're bad. Okay. 
The goal is to point you to tools to help you continue to understand God's Word better. So, grammars. That's the first one I brought. I have it here, and if you want to take a look at it, you're welcome to do that. This is the one that I am suggesting that we use in the readers group, that we meet for an hour and that we would spend a half an hour in this one, and we'll just work our way through it. If you have questions, I'll try to answer them. Um, I will also try to help you with understanding some of the grammar because he doesn't talk about grammar much. I may just point it out and say, okay, you see this? This means it's nominative, and this is the subject, you know, and that's all I might say about it, you know, and you'll see it over and over again. You'll get used to it. And so uh, anyway, that's this book. It's the uh, Learn New Testament Greek by Dobson. It's uh, an inductive. The reason why we're talking about using this is because it is inductive, meaning that you learn Greek by reading Greek, and it's unique. The readers group, I think I've mentioned that a number of times, that Bonnie and I are a part of up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and we still uh, meet with them, but we have to do it over a phone call conference because we're, well, we have taken several trips in the last several months and gone back up there, and we try to plan our trips where we can be there for Saturday morning and actually meet with the guys face-to-face. Anyway, the pastor that started this group years ago, uh, he went through this grammar with several people, and a couple of those guys are still in the group to this day. Both of them read Greek to this day, uh, um, and they. Uh, so anyway, I, I wrote to this pastor. I said, "This is what I'm thinking about doing. I'm thinking about using this book, and that we, you know, do 30 minutes in the book and 30 minutes in in John." And I said, do you have any comments or do you have anything that you learned through it that you'd, something you might want to do differently or, or something? And he wrote back and said, uh, that's exactly what we did. <laughs> he said, that's a good way to go. He said, that's exactly what we did. We read through this book. We started reading through John. He said, the important thing is to get people reading Greek. That's the, the important thing. And so uh, he didn't have any suggestions to do anything differently. He said, what we've talked about sounds good. And so that is the plan then. So if you want to be a part of that reader's group, uh, it wouldn't hurt to go ahead and order it. In fact, Joey, did you say you already ordered Yeah, Joey's already got his. Okay. So it'd be good to go ahead and get it because, you know, I'm planning on pressing on with this. And uh, so that would be, uh, and you can get it from, you know, Amazon. You can probably even get them used uh, for even less. Uh, it's up to you. But... Uh, as I said earlier, you know, this is one of those books. You are equipped from this class to hit the ground running with, oh, I switched some slides around. I put this one first instead of the other one because this is the one I want you to get. This was actually the second slide, and so it's talking about the previous slide. I need to fix that. Um, but like I said, this, the fact is, uh, you already know, you know, the first few pages full of, uh, tells you the alphabet and how to pronounce it and the diphthongs. You guys already know all that. You'll get, Read it? Sure, go ahead and read it, just to get get what he's saying to be a review, you know, and then uh, we'd be ready to go on from there. We may just, I don't know whether we'll start with that. Maybe we will. Maybe that'd probably be a good thing to start with that. Um, but anyway, that's a good one by John H. Dobson, Learn New Testament Greek. So that's the plan. That's the one we're planning on using. This one was the first slide. This is a pretty good grammar. It's been used by a lot of people. Uh, Bill Mounts. Uh, did a good job putting it together, but this is a analysis deductive method of learning. It's just, it's a, you know, it says memorize this chart of endings, memorize this, this, this set of rules and, and that sort of thing. And so then you, 
then you go through and you look at the Word and and you'd read Greek the same way I do. When I look at the Word, what do I do? I look at the Word. I try to figure out what was it originally. I look, did they put anything on the front of it? Did they put anything on the end of it? Did they put anything in the middle of it? What do I do with this to translate it? But this is a really good book. He's got a good method of uh, learning Greek. Uh, he's He's actually simplified things. There was a lot more. When I took Greek back in 1980, 81, and 82, excuse me, there was a whole lot more memorization of things. And he's actually come up with some rules and and uh, uh, and some uh, charts that you can, if you memorize those, it, he really has cut down on how much you have to memorize. So he's done a really good job if you want to pursue this. This is not a bad thing. Uh, he, and he also has a workbook. That's the difference here. This says grammar. This says workbook. And if you're going to get this, I would suggest you also get the workbook too. Um, and, you know, Maybe that would be something we would do after we get through the Dobson grammar. You know, say, okay, now we feel pretty good about Greek. We kind of know it now. Because it's important to understand grammar to be able to appreciate exegetical things, uh, exegetical topics. Uh, if you don't know much about grammar, you say, I can read it. I know this is what it is, but I don't know why it is. You know, and then you read a, a more advanced grammar, and, and you go, I don't know what he's even talking about here because he's using all these grammatical terms. So. Anyway, that's something that's going to be a ways out. We we can still kick that around sometimes. So that's why I said uh, you're equipped to from from this class to hit the ground running with either of these two books. That would be that one or that one. Uh, that's a good one, but we're going to go with this one first. And I've never taught through this. I've never been taught through it. Nobody's ever taken me through it. So this will be good for all of us. I because you know for me. I think it would be nice to look at the Greek text and just know what it is because I know what it is because, you know, I've gone through this inductive method as opposed to always having to analyze every single thing as I go through. Obviously, there's some things I'm familiar with I don't analyze. You know, that's... Um, but uh, if I get to something that I'm not as familiar with, uh, then I have to do the analysis. So anyway, those are both very good. Advanced grammars. I mentioned that a little while ago. A really good one is this one by Daniel B. Wallace, Greek Grammar Beyond the Basics. That is a book that you could go through, and it would, and you'd probably find every single one of these things that I've used for insights on every single week. He probably has a section in there on that. Uh, in fact, I have pulled from some of his information from that book. I've read through that book. Uh, I don't agree with everything in it. I think sometimes he lets his theology color his his thoughts, but it is still a really great book. Uh, he's a brilliant man, and uh, he's one of the foremost authorities on Koine Greek in the world today. Uh, so that's a really good one. But again, I wouldn't jump into that right away. I don't want you to get befuddled, but if you pursue Greek and you learn it and you want to go further, that's a good place to go next. And I suppose if we're still doing this, you know, readers group over the next 10 years, maybe we'll go through that one too. <laughs> we'll just see how it goes. Uh, but that's a good one. A.T. Robertson's got a really good grammar. It's probably could be a lethal weapon in the wrong hands. It is huge, but it makes a good reference. That's the reason why I mentioned it's a good reference thing to look up certain things. But that's another really, really good one. A.T. Robertson's grammar of the Greek New Testament in light of historical research. Um, one of the things that's nice about grammars, I don't know if this one does, but um, most grammars have an index in the back. It tells you every verse that's used in the grammar. What that means is you can use the 
Yes, this one, well, no, that's every word that's used. Um, but what that means is that if you are doing a Bible study and you want to look up and see if there's anything grammatically significant, you can... Uh, Yes, this one does have an index of every scripture used. So what you can do is look at the back, see if that grammar talked about that verse anywhere, and then go back and look it up and see if there's any insights to be gotten. So you can kind of use a grammar as a commentary, uh, as it were, uh, for insight. Okay, so books, Greek commentaries. A.T. Robertson, that's the same guy that we mentioned earlier that had the grammar, the, the huge grammar. Uh, he's got a series of books, six books, and they're called uh, Word Pictures. Uh, Word Pictures in the New Testament. And this is a book, a set of books, that you would also be able to use. You, you know enough. You can hit the ground running with it. And, and uh, each book covers, it's hard to read, this one is uh, General Epistles and something else, Revelation it looks like, and they're not necessarily in order, you know, Matthew through John to Acts and so forth, but um, but you pull it out, look it up, you can, again, if you're look, doing a study and you want to uh, look at a particular passage, you go in here and see if Dr. Robertson says anything about that in, in there, and he'll talk about some of the same things. He might mention, oh, there's a condition there, we're going to look at conditions later, a conditional state uh, clause, and he'll say, well, this is a first-class condition or a second-class condition. Or there's just different things. That he, or he'll talk about the word and how the word was used and talk about uh, the history of the word or stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's usually all just a commentary on the Greek text itself. And so you're able to use that. Now, something I should mention here is that it's six books, and I, I do have them, but I also... I don't have them down here. I have them up in Sioux Falls. Why didn't I bring them down here? Because I have it on apps. One of the apps, a couple of the apps that I have, eSword and um, um, MySword, both have, no, maybe it's just eSword. I can't remember. But anyway, they have all of this in the app. So I don't have to carry all the books down here. I can just look on my phone or look on my computer and look it up. Let's see. I think that covers that. So that's Robertson's Word Pictures. This is another good one. I have the, this one I have down here with me. In fact, I have its predecessor down here. This is a expanded work that actually was based off of the work done by Fritz Reinecker called The Linguistic Key to the Greek New Testament. And this Cleon Regis translated from German. Fritz, believe it or not, was German. And so uh, he wrote it in German, and this guy came along and uh, translated it in English. And so that's what I have, and it's a much smaller book. But then he went on to work on it and expanded that work. And so this is another good resource. And again, this is one that you could, you know enough now that you could, and if you didn't know what he was talking about, he uses a term like this is the accusative or this is a, an aorist, or this is a subjunctive, or whatever. You may not remember, but we have talked about it, and it's in your notes, and you can go back to your notes, look it up, and find out what it is he's talking about. Uh, and, but he, will, he gives you some history on vocabulary words, and it's all laid out from Matthew through Revelation, You just, just like you would read a Bible, except it's all just commentary on the Greek text. And he'll define some of the grammatical things, and he'll say, well, this... They might even mention this one, and word pictures might even mention things like we've talked about, like 
this question is expecting a yes answer. This question is expecting a no answer, uh, that type of thing. So you can get uh, some good insights from, from this book, The Linguistic and Exegetical Key to the Greek New Testament, uh, like I said, based off of Fritz Reinecker's Linguistic Key to the Greek New Testament. Um, so that's one you'll be able to use, get some good insights out of. Lexicons. This one, this is the best in the world, bar none. BDAG. Um, BDAG, those are the initials of the people who worked on it. Bauer, Art, Gingrich, Danker. Sometimes they'll say Bag D because Danker is the one who expanded on it. But this is the best one, but it is also the most expensive one. <laughs> you can't pick one up. Well, when I got mine back in 1980, it was $30, and I just I couldn't hardly believe $30 for a book. Of course, that was 1980. Uh, a little bit different back then. It's uh, I don't know what they run now. I suppose you probably get a you know used ones on Amazon for a good price. I don't I don't know. I haven't looked lately. Uh, mine's just the second edition. The third edition is uh, farther. There's no strong numbers. You have to know your alphabet. You have to look them up alphabetically. But they pull from a and and they only give the lexical form of the word. Uh, so if you're looking up a word that you see in the text, you're going to have to look at something else first. You'll have to figure out what word it is uh, before you can look it up here. But they have a lot of background on and information on Greek words used in the New Testament, the Septuagint, and by the early Christians, and I think even classical works. It's just got a lot of information about words. It's a huge book, and all it is is a dictionary. It's, uh, it's huge, but it is also very expensive. So if you want to spend a lot of money, that would be a good one, but I don't think it's necessary to to do that, at least with where you are now. Someday you might want it. Here's a lexicon that Bonnie's actually used this one quite a bit when we were going through the Mount's Grammar, the one I told you that is more the diagnostic method. It was the second slide, the formerly first slide, the blue books that I had shown you. This is by the same guy, and it's an analytical lexicon. What that means is you can take them, you're looking at your Greek text, and you go, I don't know what that is. I want to know about it. You can actually look that up in this in this lexicon, and it'll tell you what the word is and what that form is, and it'll give you the grammatical analysis on it. So that's a pretty good one. It's not all that expensive. It's all by the same guy, William Bill Mounts. But uh, Bonnie found this one as a, a, to be a great help when we were going through the Mounts grammar. So that's a good one. The analytical lexicon to the Greek New Testament by Mounts. Here's another Mounts book. Uh, no, I don't make a commission on anything. <laughs> Mounts is a good teacher. He's uh, very, uh, very good at teaching Greek, and so he has some good resources out there. I do have this one, but I also have this one on my phone, so I don't have it down here. It's up in Sioux Falls. This is Mounts' Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words. And it's got a couple of different sections. The first section has a, you just look up a word, like you want to look up the word love. So you just look it up in English, and then he'll tell you, here's all the Hebrew words that are used in the Old Testament for love, and here's the, here's the Greek words used in the New Testament for love, and he'll talk a little bit about each one of them. And so that's really good. And then he's got a complete list of all of the, uh, words in Greek and Hebrew. Uh, the This other part doesn't have every word, but, but he does have a dictionary in it that makes up every Hebrew and every Greek word and tells you how many times it's used and 
And it'll tell you oftentimes a few places where you can find it, and sometimes it tells you, if, there, if it's not too many, it'll tell you every place that word occurs. So anyway, that's a pretty good one. Uh, I use this I use this regularly. I have it on my phone. I use it, well, I'm going to say daily. I, I think I use it daily. This is another one I brought with me, if, in case you wanted to look at this. This is another Mounts book. This is a Greek interlinear. We're switching gears now from uh, grammars and lexicons to, to um, interlinears as the Greek text. But this is what it looks like, and I'll have this up here if you want to look at it. Uh, this particular one is the New American Standard slash NIV, which means that when you look at the, you open the book and you look, well, I have a picture. We'll look at that. Um, it's got, so it's got two versions, two translations in the margins, one on each side of the Greek text. It's got interlinear translation under the Greek text. It has a grammatical analysis of each word under the text, and it has a number under each word in the text. The number is a key to the dictionary that he's got in the back. And what you have in the back is a portion of the other dictionary that I had mentioned, the complete uh, list of all the Greek New Testament words, and it tells you how many times a word is used and, and some of the places it is and how it should be translated in different uses and different scriptures, different passages. Uh, this book is worth about five books, I guess. Uh, it's uh, you got two translations, so you actually got a third translation because you've got the interlinear translation, you've got the Greek text, you've got a grammatical analysis, and you got the dictionaries all wrapped up in one one book. This is a good one. I used to use it a lot. I don't use it as much anymore, but it it's um, but it's it is a good one. And I'll show you here. Um, this is something like I say you can take pick up and use right away. Here's a sample page. This text over here is the NIV. This text over here. It looks a little odd because it was on the edge of my scanner, <laughs> so it, it doesn't really look like that in real life. That's, it, it looks a little wavy there because of my scanner. I couldn't quite get it flat. But So this is the New American Standard over here. You still have the footnotes for the NIV over here. Well, both of them. This page does not. You have the Greek text here, and then you have English translation underneath it. Now, there are places like this right here. Um, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet. There's nothing there. The prophet is down here. The prophet, two, prophet two. So here's where the prophet is. They they tried to make the English flow better, but they put the numbers underneath here. There's the number. There's the number for those. Well, those are the same numbers right here. This is where they actually occur. They've moved it so they give you enough information to know what they put there when they change the order. But they have, you know, that's Jeremiah. And then you have these numbers. You take those numbers, look it up in the back. I should have had a picture of that too. But you look it up in the back and it'll give you the definition. And it'll even give you the Strong's number if you need, if you want the Strong's number. At the end of the definition, it's got a little brackets or parentheses or something. And it's got, um, it's got the Strong's number in brackets. They're square brackets at the end of the definition. So uh, you can get a lot of good information from that. I know this is really hard to see, but like here's a participle. It's got PT dot, so this is a participle. It's an aorist, passive, nominative, 
Well, that is just too hard to tell. Uh, maybe something lower, maybe closer here. Uh, okay, here's a participle, and it's uh, aorist, passive, nominative, singular, masculine. So it's just got a little code down there. The N for nominative, S for singular, M for masculine. Here's a dative. This is a, no, this is a definite article, uh, nominative, uh, singular, masculine. And I'll try to find something different here. Uh, here's a noun. It's got an N. It's a noun. It's an um, accusative, singular, feminine noun. So it's, uh, this is really good because it tells you you haven't been trained to diagnose what these things are, so it'll tell you what it is, and uh, that'll help things make help make more sense also. And then you can look it up in the dictionary as well. So this is a really good one. Like I say, it's worth about five bucks uh, in one book. It's it's really a, a good one. I think that's all for that. This one's brand new. Last year, I only mentioned it. Uh, I said they're supposed to come out in March of 2019. Well, it did. Well, I don't know if it came out in March of 2019, but it's out now. Um, and the reason why this one caught my attention is because Bonnie and I own the Hebrew interlinear version of this. And when I was first learning Hebrew, I used it quite a bit. I don't so much now, but uh, it looks the same except it's brown up here and, and blue, uh, brown instead of blue here. Uh, this part here is pretty much the same. But the way the, the the good thing about this one is that it gives a good representation of the translation value of each individual word. And I did make a picture. I don't own this one, but I saw that they had a PDF of like six chapters of Matthew or something like that, five or six chapters of Matthew. So I was able to find it and look it up. And so here's like having departed. Okay, well that tells me it's a participle done. There's no codes or anything like the other like the other book that that tells you what it is, but it gives you a good um, good English representation of what this word is saying, uh, how it's being used. For instance, they have the angel of the Lord appears, but they say in parentheses he appears. Okay, but it's because this is third person mas uh, third person singular, so he appears. There's some another here's. Uh, where is it? Here, say, having risen, he took along their child and mother. Obviously, this is Matthew chapter 2, the Christmas story area. Uh, but the, the he is built into the uh, inflection of the verb. And so they give you a pretty pretty good value. And here's another one. that, In order that it might be fulfilled, there's... It is actually in the inflection at the end of the word there. So uh, that's kind of the value of that one. If you just want to, uh, if you just wanted to read and get kind of a wooden translation, this would be a, probably a pretty good one. And I think this on the side is the ESV. Yes, it is. This is the ESV on the margin. So anyway, I don't own it, but I, we do own their, the the Hebrew Old Testament one, and it's it is hands down, the best interlinear for that, for, uh, for Hebrew. Okay, moving on to Bible apps with Greek tools. We'll just start. The, the best option probably is Logos uh, by Logos Faith Life. They, it works for Windows and Macs and tablets and phones. Uh, if, not, if money is no object, this is best. Now, they do have a free version. You can just go out and download it. It does come with some books. 
And then they have sales. Most every month they have something you can get not too expensive, a couple of dollars. However, if you want to get one of their packages with a lot of the really good stuff in it, uh, you're going to spend thousands of dollars on it. It's uh, It can be very expensive. They have packages that are, uh, even the cheap ones are expensive in my opinion. I have one, but I bought it actually back in uh 1995, if I remember right, and it was, um, I think I even ran it on, yeah, I think I was running it on uh, Windows 3.1, that means anything to you guys, I mean, that's a long time ago, <laughs> and so that's the version I have, I have a really, really old version, and I think it was like four or five, six hundred dollars, I don't remember exactly, back then. And now if you want to get the same version, it's thousands of dollars. So it's a very expensive way, but it is a great tool. Uh, if money is no object, you can get a lot of good stuff. They, they do have a free package. It might be worth getting. I, I don't know. That's up to you. Uh, they have books besides just Hebrew, Greek, and, and translations and that sort of thing. Um, extensive library books. They have a lot. Uh, one of the things that caught my attention on this is Discover the Evidence. Uh, I... Had the, I was blessed to have the opportunity, I'm not sure if I mentioned this already or not, to go down to Texas. It had to do with the uh, discovering of ancient manuscripts. And I worked at the Greek table. They had a table that was uh, working with Coptic. Um, there was a table where they were working with imaging, uh, pictures. I don't know if they were doing multispectral imaging or not. If you didn't know anything about any of the languages, you could still go, because there's other things that have to be done, like you have to measure the size of the manuscript or the fragment. You have to tell how many lines of text there are and, and uh, approximately how many letters. Or what. There's just all kinds of things that have to be done for documentation, and you, we could, you could do that. Um, but I was working with the guy. There was a guy that was in charge of the table there. And, this, and the, the, you know, the really, the really cool thing is I'm not anybody. I don't have any alphabet soup behind my name or anything. I'm nobody. But I had the opportunity to go down and be a part of this and actually examine pieces of manuscripts that haven't been seen for easily 1,400 to 600 years. And they were old at that time. Um, and, but nobody had seen them since that time. And, I'm, and I had the chance to examine these things. And so I'm working with the guy at the head of the table since I actually know Greek. And we're trying to figure out what some of these things were. And he was using Logos had to discover the evidence there and what it actually had. To, it, very, very, very powerful search engines. We say, okay, it looks like it says this. And so he'd say, tell me, okay, so we pick out on the manuscript, here's a word that we can make out. Sometimes we couldn't make out all of them. They were not easy to, to read, uh, to make out the writing on it, faded, whatever, holes, whatever. But we can make out a little up here, we make out a little down here. And so he would do a search on, give me every manuscript that we know of that has this word, and then within 10 words or between within two lines or something like that, it has this word. And so you could do searches to actually try to identify what we might be looking at. That's incredible power, you know, using a computer to to uh, do this type of research. And it, what they were using was Logos. So when I say it's probably the best, I, it probably is. I, I don't know of anything that equals it, actually. But it's also very expensive. And that's probably not the kind of thing you're going to be buying. If, if it was me, I'd be buying a much a, a smaller package uh, and not having access to all that. So what else is there? Well, if you have a Mac, 
I got windows here. Hmm. I don't remember accordance being available for windows. I know most of the time people use accordance on Macs. Uh, it's kind of the same as um, Logos in that it's also very expensive. They have product pack- packages that are expensive. Uh, oh, they have a limited free package, though, that you can get it. Uh, you can, it's another place you can spend a lot of money. It also has powerful search options. Bible Works. Now, this is one that was very f- affordable, and I have this one. And I actually use this. This is probably my second, my second most used app is Bible Works. It only works for Windows. Their their slogan is focus on the text, and that's exactly what they do. They really built into that to focus on the text. Um, the bad thing is, is the guy retired, and it's no longer being sold, so you have to buy it secondhand. But it's a great set of tools for a fraction of the cost of what you'd get it for Accordance or or um, Logos. Uh, and I, one of the things I like, too, is that they have, I said, I want to see this. I'm looking at this passage. I'm studying this passage. I want to see this in an ancient Greek manuscript, like, say, Codex Vaticanus. And so it'll bring up Codex Vaticanus, and I can look at it. It's, it's really pretty cool. So Bible Works is good. I'm sure you can probably get it used versions out there somewhere. But that, that one's pretty good, and I do use it quite a bit. Um, some of the counts that I gave you, like when I said Ume is used together this many times. Or did I get that? I got that from Bible Works. I could do a search and it would tell me every time it's used. How did I know that there were variants? Because U, sometimes it's Uk or Uk. And the, well, it's because that all came up in Bible Works. <laughs> so this is a, it's a great tool. Olive Tree. This is the, this is my most used app. Bonnie and I both use Olive Tree daily. It is not as expensive as some of the others, but if you want to get the nice Greek and Hebrew stuff, you do have to pay for it, but you won't shell out as much as you do for Logos or Accordance. So we use the Olive Tree. It works in Windows, Mac, tablets, and phones. Uh, They don't necessarily sell it in product packages. You can get a package that might include some translations. They do have a lot of free translations. They have a lot of free books as well. It's worth looking into, but when it comes to the really cool Greek, they have a Greek and a linear uh, yet shell out for that. I don't know what that nor- normally runs. That's what she uses for readers group. Yeah. Um, I can't remember how much it is, but one of the nice things about them, they always have a sale going on. If you wait long enough, it'll come up. It's like every week or two, they have a new item. So if you have something you're looking for, you go, I want this Hebrew text, or I want this Greek text, uh, this particular one, um, because it's nice, you just you tap on it, it tells you about it. You can look up a number of dictionaries and stuff. And anyway, it'll if you're patient, you can wait, and they'll, it'll eventually be on sale. I've been wanting to get their Aramaic grammar, uh, and I just I refuse to get it until they put it on sale. <laughs> um, so let's see, lots of free. They have lots of free books. You only buy the books you want. They can usually be purchased on a sale where they're not as as expensive. Uh, it's not as powerful as like Logos is or, or some of the others, but it still does. You can do searches on grammatical forms. So you say, I want to see words. I want to see this word where any, every place is used in the, this noun and the dative case or something like that. It, it'll, it'll show you that kind of stuff. Uh, and your app can be loaded on five devices. So I just bought Olive Tree once, but I have it on my phone. I have it on her phone. I got it on my PC. I've got it on my laptop. If I ever decide to get something else, I can still put it on. You can load it to five devices. So that's kind of nice, too. And it's my most used app. Bible Works is second. Logos will be third. 
That's probably still true to this day. E-Sword, this one's free. They got lots of free books. Uh, and uh, I have Robertson's Word Pictures, that six-volume set. I've got that on E-Sword. Um, some of the versions of the New Testament uh, Greek text has grammatical analysis, and some have definitions. Um, of the free apps, this is one I've used the most. Uh, My Sword, this one is available for Android. I'm not sure about Apple products, but it's very similar to eSword. And it has a bunch of other books and other Bibles. And I, you know, why do I have 20, you know, Bible apps on my phone? Well, it's because each one has some things the others don't, you know, and that's what I use them for. So uh, I can often get access for free. Yeah, there's there's dictionaries. There are um Oh, what would you call it? There's just some books. Dictionary is one of them. Um, th- that for Olive Tree, I'd have to pay for it. But I can get it for my sword or e-sword and get it for free. So that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. So that's a good thing to do. This is an app that I have on my phone. I have an Android phone. I'm not sure what all. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't available for also for Mac or for Apple phones. Um but it's the SBLGNT, and that is a it is a lightweight, easy to use Greek text. It has the Greek text? You tap on it; it'll give you the analysis of the word and give you a gloss for the meaning. And it's just a really it's it doesn't cost anything. Uh, it doesn't take up a lot of room on your phone. Uh, if you, if memory is an issue, it's just a it's just a real good app, especially if you're just wanting to check something really quickly. Somebody asks a question about something, you go out to that one, you hit it, and you can tell. Uh, just go to the reference and hit it, and then see, get a, a real quick um, real quick information. Told, it's kind of clunky, uh, but one of the nice things it does is it gives you color codes to say, well, this article goes with this noun, and it goes with this adjective, and so they're all blue, or it has uh, words that are tied together, it'll color code them. So that's kind of a an interesting thing. It gives a grammatical analysis and gives a gloss. Blue Letter Bible has an app, but you can also use the website. They also have audio. They have translation comparisons. They have some interlinear options. There's a, there's some others out there. Some of them, like for the Android, they just have one called Koine Inter, uh, Interlinear Greek uh, New Testament. So there's just a whole bunch of things that are available out there. It's easy to get lost in all the options. Uh, let me know if you have questions about a specific app or, or a specific text, and I'll look into it and let you know what I recommend on it. Websites. I moved this one up to the top in the passage farther down. Daily Dose of Greek. Uh, you guys will have to be patient with it because he's going to go through and talk about grammatical things and some of it you might recognize and some you might not but it's still a good place to what he does he, every day he comes out with a two minute two and a half minute video he'll read through a verse right now he's going through revelation he's getting close to the end i think we're in chapter 21 now and uh but he'll he'll have the text on the screen he'll read through it and then he'll talk about grammatical items but it's he does a good job with pronunciation, and you may be able to get some good from it now. And then, uh, of course, there's blueletterbible.org. They have the app, but you can also go to the website. Bill Mounts has a website, and uh, he's also got videos on YouTube. Any any Bill Mounts video on YouTube, uh, you're not going to go wrong with that. Oh, also on Daily Dose of Greek, if you go to their website, 
Uh, they have videos out there. In fact, you could actually learn Greek. I think they have a whole set of videos that goes to the black grammar. I don't know if that's the right name or not. They're tied to a particular grammar. And, of course, you can go out and buy that grammar, and the videos would go along with that. This could be more of the diagnostic methodology as well. But anyway, they have videos out there. They have other resources uh, on that site. So then, yeah, Bill Mounts. Then there's a mastergreek.com. Again, it's easy to get lost in all the options. Um, there's also a lot of junk on the Internet. So if you have any questions about something, you look at it and you go, this doesn't look quite right. It may not be. <laughs> so don't hesitate to ask, and I'll, I'll, I may already know about it. Um, let me know. Translations. Most of you probably have the New King James Version, uh, the New American Standard Bible. You've seen a lot of quotes of that. It's a very literal, and, and uh, that's been my version of choice ever since I took Greek because I could uh, somewhat see the Greek text behind the translation, and that's what I really wanted whenever I, after I took Greek. And so this is good for me. However, uh, well, yeah, we can go ahead and talk about it. A lot of times, the fact is I may have talked about this the other night when we stayed late several weeks ago. Uh, translations have strong points and weak points, and the irony is that many times the weak point is the same thing as the strength. For instance, the King James, one of the, one of the strengths of the King James is that in most modern translations, if you say you, you don't know whether it's you or y'all, because they don't say y'all, they just say you. But when you're reading King James, they have... If it says thou, that's singular. If it says ye, that's y'all. And so that's a strength. What's the weakness? The archaic language. <laughs> Nobody speaks like that anymore. A lot of people struggle with the archaic English. And so here's a case where it has a strength, but yet that's, that's also its weakness. The New American Standard, the strength is in the literalness of it. It's a very, very literal Bible. The, the weakness is what? The weakness is that it's such a literal Bible, sometimes it's hard to understand. Sometimes you have to say, I, know, I just read this. I've read it three times, and I'm still not sure what, I, what it says, you know, and so... Pull out your NIV, look at what it says, and then come back and look at you. Oh, okay, I think I got it now. <laughs> and then uh, and then move on. So it's not always easy to understand. But it is, like I say, it's my... But what's good for me is not necessarily good for anybody. Somebody says, what's the best translation? I probably used this analogy several weeks ago, didn't I? It's like asking somebody what's the best kind of car. Well, you have to ask, do you work on a farm? You might want a truck. Do you have a family? You might want a minivan. If you, you know, it depends. If you live up in South Dakota, you might want to have four-wheel drive on it. <laughs> it just depends on, you know, your situation. What what was the best translation? You want to use a translation you can understand, and and of course you want it to be accurate, but you want it to be something you can understand and and learn and grow from it. Uh, the ESV is another good uh, one that's on the literal side of things. Um, I already mentioned here, strengths and weaknesses are, are sometimes, uh, let's take the NIV, for instance. What the NIV is, there's a lot of times the NIV, if you look at it, it is just right up there with the literal translations, but then other times it's not. They, they weren't trying to be literal, they were trying to communicate what it means. And I have a good example of that later in our insights. Oh, my, um, which we need to get to. Um, but you might, we'll talk about more of that in the insights. I'll come back to that in the insights because I have a good example on it. Um, some of the more extreme paraphrases, I do not recommend the message. I do not recommend it. I think it obscures things too much. Uh, 
and I think it can confuse. And then there's a new one out called the Pure Word. I would put that out there in the same category. I think both of these should be avoided. I think the Pure Word is, uh, they make a lot of statements about, well, we have 400 and whatever English translations, and none of them go back to the Greek text of the New Testament. This is the only one that does it. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Somebody's going to ignite sometime in that company because that is, there's things they're saying that just are not true. And uh, somebody in Calvary Chapel recently asked me about it. I did a whole lot of research on it, and I wrote him a really long, lengthy email back about do not use that one. And here's the reasons why they're wrong. Even the things that he said in his video on his homepage. I just, Bonnie and I were both listening to it at the same time going, okay, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And it's it's just, don't go there. Uh, oh, I, okay. I've seen it. I have not read it. I've seen it out there. Is that right? Okay. So they're out there. So be careful. Stick with the ones you can rely on. There's others you can rely on too. Uh, you know, you could probably use the the new Revised Standard Version. That's okay too. That's got kind of a more British background, but there's nothing. You know, you're going to be okay with it. These are good. Stick with the good, solid standard translations. And, uh, I'm reading through the. I finished the Bible this year. I started again. I'm reading the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Uh, they do things that I don't like. Um, mostly it's pretty readable, but you also have to recognize that this is coming from me and I know Greek and I know Hebrew and I want something that's going to be pretty rigid, you know, and so things will rub me the wrong way, but they might be great for somebody else. So, um, new living translation to me, that's a little bit too paraphrastic, but I know people that's the one they understand. That's the one they can read it and they get it. Okay. That's the one that's best for them. Not for me, but it's best for them. ISV, the International Standard Version. They have some interesting ideas. Uh, they, uh, I don't own it. Well, I have it on one of my, I have it on my MySword app. Um, they did some things I don't like, like they take poetry and they actually try to turn it into English poetry, which means you're going to be farther away from the actual meaning to, to do what you have to do to get it to rhyme. You have to get farther away from it. I don't like that. It's interesting. They replaced the name uh, Christ or the title Christ with Messiah. That, that's kind of interesting. But overall, I don't think it's that bad of a translation. Uh, there are some claiming that it's the best. I disagree with that. It is not the best. But uh, anyway, that's what that is, International, International Standard Version. No, the Hebrew doesn't rhyme either. No, Hebrew poetry doesn't doesn't rhyme. What, Phil, did you say? I'd put the Living Bible on the other side. I I would probably put them in. No, I wouldn't even put them in this order. I would move this one down. But um, NIV, that's pretty good, especially if you get an older one. Um, Holman Christian Standard Bible, that's not too bad. Uh, but the Living Bible would be farther, you know, the New American, that's way over here on literal. Uh, English Standard is close to that. Uh, New, New King James, that's close to that. Uh, the Revised ver- Versions would be close to that. Uh, but as you move this way, the NIV, you're getting farther away. And then the rest of these are getting a little bit farther away. But the Living Bible would be 
way down <laughs> on the paraphrastic end. The mess, I would still put it ahead of the message. <laughs> yeah, the message is, is not good, in my opinion. I, to be fair, there are places where he turns a clever phrase, and, it's, and you go, well, that's, that's an interesting way of saying it. I, I can see that. That's, that's good. But it's not, in my opinion, it's not worth wading through all the muck to find those gems. <laughs> There's a lot of things that I think he makes things more confusing. I, I just would avoid that and avoid the pure word. And I really wouldn't go if, I, hope, I would hope that you could go to the New Living Translation rather than go to the Living Bible. However, I have to admit, the Living Bible was the first Bible I ever read from cover to cover. Now, that was back in 1977. There weren't as many choices <laughs> back then. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it's, but as far as, is it reliable? As long as you don't try to do word studies off of it, yeah. You know, if you just, if you just want to read the Bible to try to understand basically what the Bible says, well, it's like a commentary because it's a paraphrase. You're getting this guy's view on what it says. Uh, but he's not going to lead you into heresy. You know, you, you'll be okay with it. I don't. I don't necessarily recommend it, though. But it was the first one I ever read from cover to cover. Yes, they call that uh, today's English version. Yeah, and uh, it's also very paraphrased, but they got all the nice stick figure pictures in it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically a paraphrase too, yeah. Uh, but again, it's not a bad paraphrase. Sometimes it saves you a whole lot of reading. For instance, uh, you know, you're reading in the book of Numbers and and the guy from the tribe of Reuben brought a silver bowl this big and a silver bowl this big and a gold bowl this big. And they were filled with fine flour mixed with oil. And this was filled with incense. And then he brought this many cows. And you read that over. Okay, then the next guy from the next tribe did the same thing. The next guy from the next tribe did the same thing. In the Good News Bible or the Today's English Version, I think is what it's called, um, it's, uh, they, they just said, each guy brought this. <laughs> and so it takes a chapter that's maybe several pages long, and it makes it like, you know, just a one paragraph, which is, it's a paraphrase. But uh, I'm not recommending it, but it's, but again, it's one of those that you can read it and not have to worry about going off in a heresy or something. I think they stuck pretty true to, to it. Uh, there was another one that came to my mother. Oh, yeah, there's one called the Net Bible. It's the New English Translation. Um, the best thing about the Net Bible are the footnotes. Uh, but their translation, in my opinion, is a little too, for me, it's too paraphrastic, too. I don't, there's some good guys that worked on it, but I don't recommend it. But the footnotes are great. But you can get those, too, on some apps, if I remember right. I know I have a, I had to pay extra for it, but it's not expensive. It was $10 or something. It wasn't that much. Okay, again, if you have specific translation questions, let me know. Yeah, and you did. But if you have more, let me know. <laughs> All right. Shall we take the time for this? Because it's already after 8. We haven't even done the... Let's just skip the reading because we're going to be doing that anyway. And we'll, that's where we'll start. We'll go back to John 1.1 1, 1, and we'll start reading through there. But I'm going to skip that tonight because we're already running late. So, conditional statements, insights. In English, the word if is commonly used to introduce a condition. If you do X, then Y. 
if you pay for this car, you will own it. If you do not pay for it, they will take it away from you. You know, that's the other side. Sometimes if is used to indicate something that is assumed to be true. If it rains while I'm walking outside, I will get wet. Yep, that's the way it works. (laughs) Uh, If you are the owner of the house, you are responsible to keep it in good repair. Or if you don't keep your house in good repair, it, it'll run down and it'll be your own problem. You know, but, you know, we have these conditional statements. So the first part of the if clause is the called the protasis, and the second part, uh, the then clause, is called the apodosis. In English, we have to discern the con- the condition uh, within the context of the uh, of this conversation. Um, but however, in Greek, there are four class conditional statements, four classes of conditional statements. And they're related to the mood of the verb and the conditional word used, but is not left to context alone. So there's a first class, second class, third class, fourth class condition. There are some, this uh, this advanced grammar that I had talked about earlier by, by Dan Wallace, he, he contends that there's a fifth class condition, but it's actually a subset of the third class condition. It's basically if A, then B. It's not, uh, I don't know that I embrace that. This has been the traditional view as four, four class conditions, but the first class condition is something that's presumed to be true, presumed to be reality. It may not be and we'll, we'll have some examples of this. The second class condition is the contrary to fact. It's unreality. Third class condition is future probable income. Probable, I mean outcome, not income. Probable outcome, probability is the key word there. And the fourth class condition is less probable, maybe even less possible. It's in the realm of possibility, not probability. The first class condition, we can identify because A is the word for if in the protasis and the verb in the, uh, is in the indicative mood. Second class condition still uses A for if in the protasis, but it uses on in the apodosis. Third class condition uses et on instead of A, and it uses a subjunctive mood in the protasis. This is a verb. This is a Attribute of verbs. Verbs have tense, voice, mood, uh, person, and number. So mood is a part of the, and we and we tell that by what they did to it, by the uh, um, inflection. What did they do to the word? Then that's how we determine the mood. Then the fourth class condition is there's really no example in the New Testament of a complete fourth class condition. There are some there, but they're not complete. Because the optative mood was on its, it was being phased out of Koine Greek at the time. And the third class was taking over that. So here's some examples. These are all first class conditions. We have John 15:18. If the world you, it hates, if the world hates you, you know that me, this is, notice this is the emphatic me, M-E, uh, hated me first, Okay. Hated me before you. Hated me first. So if the world hates you, and, you know, you only have to listen to somebody like Elton John or Rosie O'Donnell or something to find out, yes, the world does hate Christians, okay? Should that upset us? Jesus told us in advance, yes, it's true. If the world hates you, and they do, and they will, you know that it has hated me before you. 
Well, it's okay to talk about God, but you better not say Jesus, and then you get into trouble. That's when the trouble starts, because the world has a problem with Jesus. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 13. That was 15, yeah, 15, 13. Um, if, and if, it is true, or if, well, let's just take it more literally. If the dead are not raised, then not Christ is raised. Okay? So if, it's, if it is really true that the dead are not raised, then it would also be true that Christ is not raised. Now, this is a first-class condition, which is supposed to be reality. Paul's not saying it's reality. Later on, he says, but Christ is risen. He, he asserts that he is. But he's saying, he's taking, this is your position. You have people that are saying that the dead are not raised. And he said, if that is true, if the dead are not raised, then Christ is not raised either. Okay? So the first, if you assume the first to be true, the second has to also be true. So that's how it's being used. And it, it's used in a sense of reality, even though he's making an argument here. More first-class conditions. Matthew 12:28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, and I do, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay? That's presented as being a truth. Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, that's pretty understandable. Revelation 20.15. Now, this is an interesting one. i got the New King James here. In New King James, you can't even tell it's a conditional statement. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The New American Standard retains the conditional statement, says, and if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, which at the great white throne judgment they're not going to be, he was thrown in the lake of fire. So they will be uh, thrown in the lake of fire. That's a, a statement of reality. Okay? Second class conditions. John, these And these are fun. I like second class conditions more than any of them probably. This is my favorite one. Uh, John 11.30. I mean, not just John 11.32. I'm saying second class conditions are among my favorite when I'm reading them. Uh, John 11.32 says, Lord, this is Martha speak or Mary speaking, Martha said the exact same thing back in verse 21. She said, Lord, if you were here, not uh, my brother would have died. So what she's saying, uh, Lord, if you were here, my brother would not have died. But you weren't here, and he did die. See, there's the second class condition has a flip side to the coin. If you were here, he wouldn't have died. That's a true statement. But you weren't here, and he did die. That's the flip side. See what I'm saying? And that's what you'll see in all of these. That's why, why I find these so interesting, the uh, second-class conditions. Talking to the woman at the well, Jesus said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. But you don't know the gift of God and you don't know who it is who's saying to you, give me a drink, and you haven't asked him and so he hasn't given it to you. <laughs> you see that? This is all contrary to fact. If you would knew the gift of God, you would have asked, and he would have given. Um, but it didn't turn out that way. So this, that's why I find these so interesting. This one's entertaining. Uh, it's also interesting. Luke 9, 30, uh, 7.39, rather. This is when Jesus was dining at Simon the Pharisee's house, and the woman came in and was crying at his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And Simon the Pharisee, says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, 
this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner this uh, woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. The flip side of that is, but he isn't a prophet, so he doesn't know. And so he reveals his own unbelief. His statement is incorrect, but he's revealing his unbelief by saying, if he were a prophet, and he's not, he would know, but he doesn't. But what we see, in the irony in this, is that he said this to himself. He was thinking this to himself. Jesus answered his thoughts. So Jesus is showing not only that he's a prophet, but that he is indeed God, because only God knows the thoughts of man. And so it showed Simon was, well, he, he struck out. <laughs> He struck out. There's at least three strikes. And, you know, he, he got this wrong and he didn't recognize who Jesus was. And he, he didn't uh, have the right attitude about the woman. I think that's three strikes. And so he's out. But it's interesting, uh, these second class conditions. Galatians 1.10. For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I am not trying to tease men, and so I am a bondservant of Christ. See, the flip side of this contrary to fact condition. We've got a few more. John fifteen nineteen. If you are of the world, the world would love its own, but you're not of the world, so it hates you. You know, that's the flip side of this. Yet because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If I had not come and spoken to them, this is John fifteen twenty two. If I had not come and spoken to them, but I did... They would have no sin, but they do. I have come and they have sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. John five forty six, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, but you don't believe Moses, and so you don't believe me, uh, for he wrote of me. Is the he wrote about me? Is the end of that? Uh, so you can see the uh, the two sided coin of the second class, uh, contrary to fact conditions. Third class conditions. This is probability. Uh, she was saying, this is an imperfect, uh, means continual action in the past. I can just see this woman who had been stooped over for 12 years, trying to sneak up to Jesus in the crowd and touch the hem of his garment. She was saying, for she was saying in herself, uh, if only I might touch the hem of, of the hem of the, touch uh, the garment of him. Yeah, that's it. Uh, touch the garment of him, I will be healed or saved. Uh, that's a future passive. I will be saved. So that's the probability. If I can do that, then this will happen. That's in the realm of probability. Hebrews 6.3 uh, has an example, example of the uh, protasis and the potasis being flipped. And this we will do if God permits. Uh, he's wanting to go on to talk about Melchizedek and, and Jesus and, and he didn't want to have to go over the elementary things again and this we will do if God permits it's, if God permits we will do but it flips them but it's uh, still a um, third class conditional statement one of probability if God permits we'll do it that's the probable outcome of it if the husband dies she is released from the law of her husband Romans 7 2 and that's we don't know that the husband's going to die. We don't know that the husband's going to die before she does. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen. But if that's the case, then she is released. If he dies first, then she's released. So that's the, the way it the, comes about. Fourth class condition, as I said, these aren't um, complete. Um, but even if you may suffer uh, for righteousness on account of, on account of righteousness, blessings. Well, that's wooden. 
New King James says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. So this is not in the realm of probability. This is in the realm of possibility. Sometimes we read through Peter and we think that this is a people who are suffering. There were people suffering, the apostles in particular, like Paul and maybe Peter at this point too, but it would appear that at that point in time, the people that Peter was writing to had not yet fallen into persecution. First uh, Corinthians 14.10, uh, if perhaps a great many languages, um, New King James says there are, it may be, this is a possibility, so many languages in the world, none of them is without significance. And then 1 Corinthians 15.37, so it's talking about a wheat or something that gets thrown in the ground. What you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain. Perhaps, there's the fourth class conditional statement, perhaps wheat or some other grain. It's just a possibility. So those are some examples of the fourth class conditions. And then tense, I told you we'd talk about that too. And, and more specifically, I was going to talk a little bit more about the NIV. So that's, that's in this section. So if you remember, the Greek tenses are more precise than English tenses, with the type of action being the primary attribute. Time when is only in the indicative mood, but the type of action, every time a tense appears, it always has the type of action. doesn't matter whether it's indicative mood or any other mood or use. So the type of action is a primary attribute. A proper understanding of Greek tense and a type of action is really important in understanding what God has said, especially when it looks at these tenses that deal with the continual repeated actions like the, per, the present and the imperfect. Uh, oh, I got that here. Present and imperfect tenses. There are the continual or repeated actions. Um, and then there's the perfective action too. Completed action with the ongoing effect or state. Uh, these provide great benefits to understanding the New Testament. Without this understanding, the scriptures can be misunderstood. 1 John 3.6. We're going to look at a number of them in 1 John. The New King James says, Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor knows him. Okay. The New, New American Standard says something very similar. These are both pretty literal translations here. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Oh, man, I just sinned. What am I? That means I don't know him. I haven't seen him. I don't know him. I'm not abiding in him because I sinned. Well, that's not a proper understanding. All the ones, you know, the, the wooden translation on it here, all the ones remaining, which is a perfect participle, that's a completed action with an ongoing effect. So we're remaining in him, not he sins. Now, he sins is present. That means continual action. If we are remaining in Christ, sin should not be a continual action. It shouldn't be something we constantly are doing. Okay, let's keep going. He is not seen. Um, he is not seen, which is again perfect, completed action with an ongoing state. He has not seen him and not he has known. And again, that's also perfect with an ongoing state, knowing him. But the thing is, is the one who is sinning continually, constantly. Now the NIV says, the one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. That is not a literal translation. But what did they do? They gave us the benefit of what I was talking about here, these highlighted words, and I have them in parentheses here, of these, these tenses. They have given you the benefit of those. 
And so if you're doing a word study and you want to look up keeps on, you go, keeps on is not, there's no Greek word for that. They just, they just made that up. They just put it in there. No, they didn't just make it up. They didn't just put it in there. They're giving you the benefit of understanding the tense. And that's one of the great benefits of the NIV is that they, since they are not trying to be literal, they have the ability to, to expand on that. It's not a paraphrase. That is what it says. That is what it means. Uh, they have given it to us exactly the way it means. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now this is a, something we'll be seeing more and more of here. First John 3, 7, New King James says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. This is he is righteous. Um, the more wooden translation, little children, uh, no one. Uh, this, this is one of those third third person imperatives we looked at, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, probably. Um, he must stop leading you astray. That's a present imperative, third person singular. Uh, the one doing present tense, continually or repeatedly doing righteousness, he is righteous as that one is righteous. So we're talking about continual action here that is uh, present participle. First John 3, 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Okay, looking at it more woodenly again, this is also present. The one continually doing sin is of the devil. Uh, of the devil he is because from the beginning the devil sins continually, uh, continually sinning. Into this uh, he was manifested or revealed the Son of God in order that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so it's talking about continually doing sin. Okay, First John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And here we have the wooden version of the translation. Each one, having been born, perfect, completed action with an ongoing effect. Each one, having been born of God, sin he does not continually do. Because the, uh, the, uh, because the seed of him, his seed, is in him, remains in him, continually remaining in him. And he's not able continually to sin continually because God uh, because of God he has been born again that's completed action with an ongoing sense or state the NIV says no one who is born of God will continue to sin well where's the word continue well it's not there but where did they get it they got it right out of the tense out of the action of the tense will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. Where's go on? Go on's not there. At least it's not in the Greek word. Is it there? Yes, it is there. It's there in the tense. It's there in the tense. Uh, you cannot, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. So notice that while the NIV is not as literal, and a lot of times it is, but it's not always, but when it's not entirely literal, they provide the benefit of the Greek tense, even though there is no corresponding word in Greek, helps us understand what it is that God has said. What does it mean? They've made it clear. The summary of this whole passage from 1 John 3, 6 through 9 is saying that the believer does not have a lifestyle of continual habitual sinning. If you have 
If you're stalking me and you're watching every move I make through the day, what I hope you would see is that Bruce is presented with some opportunities to sin and his continual repeated action as he goes through the day is to turn away from sin and do what is right. And you say, but I saw him fail. But that wasn't his continual repeated action. That wasn't his normal way of doing things. His normal way of doing things was to get away. Once he did fall, he, he sinned, he confessed it, he repented of it, and he tried to make it right, and he's going forward from then on. And that's the way our lives should be, is to uh, to not be... But somebody who's constantly, well, let's just pick porn. They're just addicted to porn. They can't stay away from porn. That continual, repeated action shows that they are not walking with the Lord. They're probably not spending time in His Word because spending time in His Word would help them with that. Um, this does not say that if we sin, we are not saved. It says if someone has a lifestyle of continual sin, they are not saved. This is why John said in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And that's from the New King James. Um, so John recognizes sometimes we do fail, but that shouldn't be our continual repeated course of action day to day. And if it is, it has to raise questions about our walk with the Lord. He also said in chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, the New King James Version. God transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, forgives us, credits the righteousness of Christ to our account, makes all things new, and his seed is in us. Therefore, we do not desire to sin, we want to please God in every way. When we do accidentally sin, His Holy Spirit convicts us. We confess it, repent, and continue on our walk of righteousness, not in habitual sin. Oh, what was it? I had a thought in here. What was it? Yeah. Sometimes people will emphasize freedom and liberty in Christ. What is that freedom and liberty? The freedom and liberty is to not sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. Romans chapter 6, we are no longer slaves to sin. Our freedom, our liberty is that we're no longer slaves to sin. Now we are to be slaves to righteousness and do what's right. And I haven't said it for a long time. Um, first time I ever taught here, though, I did mention it. Um, that's been a couple of years ago, I guess. I don't remember. Jesus paid for all sin, okay? If I choose to sin, I'm adding to what he had to suffer for. If I look at it and go, this is sin, I don't want to sin, I don't want to disappoint him, I don't want to hurt his heart, I want to do what's right, and I don't sin, I've actually removed sin that he had to suffer for. You see what I'm saying? It's good to walk in such a way that we are not adding to the suffering that Christ had to have back 2,000 years ago. And, as I said, we are our liberty is we are no longer slaves to sin. So that's our continual repeated action should be to walk in righteousness, to walk by the Spirit. So you can see how understanding the Greek tenses can help us better understand what God has said. And for English speakers, um, reading from multiple reliable translations can help us understand the text better. So if you... Um, 
we're reading along there in your New King James or your New American Standard, and you go, wow, that sounds pretty heavy. Does that mean when I sin, I'm not saved? Well, if you look at the NIV, you go, oh, continue to sin. They didn't just make that up. They weren't just trying to express some theological framework that they might have. They're given to you what in the, is in the text. And, if you, and you know enough now with tools like that Bible I've got on top over there, you could look it up and say, oh, okay, well, this is a perfect tense, or this is a present tense. And so that's what this is. They're pulling this from the, from the tense. Always remember, study the Bible in any language, English, Greek, Hebrew, in order to know God better, love him more, which is the first commandment, walk in his ways, that includes the second commandment and all the others, and to be conformed or transformed into the image of his son, as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And we learn Greek and Hebrew to better understand his word and better communicate what God has said to others. So any questions for today? Or our previous lessons. Thank you so much for, your for the opportunity to share with you the structure of the Koine Greek and some grammatical insights, uh, things that would not be revealed in simple word studies. And now homework. <laughs> Please do not lose what you worked hard to gain. Continue to review the alphabet. Like I said, you do it at stoplights. You know, uh, remember all the other pronunciation parts, the, the breathing marks, the diphthongs, the diaresis. Uh, continue to practice reading First John because I don't know when we're going to start this readers group. I want to get it going soon. I don't, I don't know when we're going to do it yet, but I'm not going to let this die, wither on the vine. Well, we will do it, um, but just continue practicing so you don't lose anything. Uh, well, we don't have to don't want to have to do remedial work when we start meeting. <laughs> so stay up with it. Uh, review the lesson notes from time to time, and, and again use me. Make note of any questions and ask me. This is not an inconvenience to me. This is my life. This is the thing I love and enjoy. I love Greek. I love Hebrew. I love God's Word, and it is not an inconvenience when somebody asks me about these things. So please be sure to do that. Uh, it's my delight. That's it. Thank you.